If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. You want to know what the best email marketing service is for your small business? Well, I've got the team for you. Emailtooltester.com is the place to find reviews and tutorials of newsletter services like ActiveCampaign, MailChimp, GetResponse, and many more. Download their free comparison spreadsheet that will help you find the best email marketing service among many providers. Just Google Email Tool Tester Comparison Template to find it. Again, just Google it. Email Tool Tester Comparison Template to find it. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Linda Lee. She's the Chief Marketing Officer for Meals and Beverages at Campbell Soup Company. And on the show today, we talk about her journey from engineer to product R&D to insights to marketing and why those combinations make a lot of sense and how she built her what we call lattice career. We also talk about how she's helping to revitalize Campbell Soup. The brands and the portfolios, everything from Pace to Prego to Swanson to Chunky to the classic red and white soup and much more. This is going to be a masterclass on how you go deep on insights and understanding to create better products and better go-to-market strategies for your brands. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Linda Lee. 
Linda, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to get to talk to you about Campbell's. Uh, it's a company I've actually supported in the past. Um, so it'll be a fun conversation. But before we get to business, I have to know what's a fun superpower that you have? So I'm going to go way back in history and uh, share a story from when I first started working, I found myself traveling a lot with coworkers and really getting to know each other well. And, and, uh, I also have a love of cars and what I quickly became kind of my, my superpower was the ability to guess the make and model of their car based on their personality. And, uh, at the time I was actually in R and D as a product developer, but looking back, I think it was a, a calling to be in marketing because clearly the automakers, millions and billions of marketing dollars worked on me. Uh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, I will not ask you for a personality assessment of myself <laughs> because my car is ultra boring in my opinion, but, uh, Anyway, uh, fan, uh, dad, dad vibes going strong on my side. Let's talk about so from early days of guessing cars and working in R and D. Tell, tell me about a little bit more about your path and how you ended up as chief marketing officer for meals and beverages at Campbell Soup. So the short answer is it was a completely unplanned and unexpected one. I started my career over 25 years ago as an engineer in product development at Procter & Gamble. And throughout the, the next 25 years, I've just had various doors open up unexpectedly that required a leap of faith really on my part, as well as the, um, the company's part. And, it, you know, I've walked through those that have opened up even more doors. And so it's, kind of led me through consumer insights at General Mills and Cadbury, global innovation and marketing at over a course of 11 years and three different names, Cadbury, Kraft, and Mondelez. Um, and then uh, I decided to take a hard left turn and joined Ipsos, which is a, a global market research firm, before getting a call to be CMO at Stonyfield. And then I, the next gig after that was actually in venture startup as, as a CMO as well, before getting this unexpected call to return to big CPG with this role. Uh, that's amazing. Well, and you do have quite an interesting background. I've only, I think talk to a handful of people that are engineers by training or, or by trade originally. Um, but you, you know, came from engineering, had spent a good bit amount of time in product or R and D and then insights before marketing was marketing always in the plan or did you just kind of like find your way there eventually? Not at all. And to be honest, I didn't even know marketing was a career path until I joined P&G. And in working with my brand partners, I quickly realized I was always asking questions and intrigued by the brand strategy, the consumer, brand positioning, um, and just overall general management. And so I even took the GMAT at some point. Um, but the opportunity cost to go back to business school full time, it never made sense. So I knew I loved all of the commercial and brand aspects and was always curious and trying to influence my marketing peers. It was just a bit of 
I guess, the serendipity of opportunities that came about that got me closer and closer. So as you referenced through insights, innovation, even general management before getting into a traditional brand marketing role, that didn't happen until 2012 when I was returning from China. I was launching Gum in China. In 2012, I came back to run Ritz and that was my first, my first uh, traditional marketing role. Ah, wow. That's amazing. An international experience to boot on top of everything else. So, um, I mean, you, you've got, I think you mentioned this term the last time we were talking, you've got really this lattice of a career <laughs> that you've built. Did you think about it like that? I mean, as you were taking each of these different posts or different types of twists and turns, were you thinking, what are you thinking? <laughs> Maybe. You know, here, To be honest, every big career decision I've made, I really believe the term follow your heart. That is what has driven my decisions of a bit of trusting my gut and in following that, even though rationally it made no sense and usually involved a high level of risk, whether it was moving to a different state or moving to a different country. In some of my moves, I felt like I really had no return ticket. There was no safety net of if it doesn't work out, what happens? Or in some ways, you know, many of the roles I've had, I actually didn't have any any proven track record in that type of role. And, and so a bit of leap of faith that all will work out. Well, I know, I mean, as we talk about risk and taking on new risk before joining Campbell's, you were in an entrepreneurial kind of startup growth company. What made you go from small back to big again? <laughs> again, not part of the plan, but I've always been driven by three things, challenge, brands, and people. And I, at the time, I was having my best work-life balance, living in Manhattan, you know, CMO at this venture startup with a few people because it's a venture startup that I really, really enjoyed being with and working with. But then I got this unexpected call for the Campbell role. And what I loved was the challenge. Um, Soup had been in a long-term decline, the category. I loved the brands. You know, there are a few brands that are more Americana than Campbell's. And I'm also from Texas. So Pace is the only salsa I will eat. And I trusted and respected several key leaders who had joined Campbell's, including Mark Klaus, the CEO. And I loved the opportunity to be able to bring my experiences from both big and small CPG to Campbell. I have this like meta moment in my head right now where of you sitting in Manhattan from Texas, loving pace going, didn't they have a like catchphrase like New York City or something like <laughs> oh my that? God, you're totally right. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> it just it just came like flashing in my head, this little like pioneer man sitting on a log going, New York City. <laughs> so that's funny. That's funny. Well, I mean, I'm glad you found your way to Campbell. I mean, it is to your point, like there is, I mean, for the love of God, like you, you guys have modern art with Campbell's in the art itself, right? Like uh, modern American art, I should say. And uh, so you're right. Like it is a definitely a storied American brand. And you've got a portfolio of cool brands like Pace, V8, 
as well and others. Yeah, Prego, the number one Italian sauce, Pacific Foods are natural and organic. There's a great portfolio. Yeah, well, I mean, and so it is storied brand, you know, and, and a portfolio of storied brands. So like, how are you renovating or <laughs> modernizing Campbell's in particular is I think 153 year old brand. So how are you thinking about that? Well, this is a passion of mine. Um, I often say if I had a choice of modernizing, making relevant in a, a long time brand versus uh, launching a new one. For me personally, I think the former is easier than the latter, having done both. <laughs> and so I think I just, I love uh, modernizing brands that have, you know, stood the test of time, but they've stagnated or, you know, found themselves in an unstable or challenging position. And for me, it starts with getting to the truth of a brand. I really see myself as a custodian. It really is my honor to be able to put that brand on a, on a, you know, just a better track. And I see myself as an architect who's restoring something timeless, but modernizing it for today's lifestyle. Um, um, in addition to cars, I also really love houses. And, and I, I really think think that that's that's my role when I come into assignments like this. And what it looks like is really listening, observing, spending time with consumers, employees, customers, agency partners. You know, we're all consumers ourselves. So it starts with understanding the humans who are um, interacting, buying, eating with our brands and our products. And for a large brand with high awareness like Campbell's Condensed Soup, we've been modernizing it over the last three years by touching nearly every consumer touchpoint. Um, the food, the communications, the packaging, it really is all around. And you're coming into a portfolio like this and, and you talk about the customer insights. Like, is that where you started or... or where do you start? Because you've also got a, like just a ginormous portfolio too. I do. And so where I tangibly start is actually the first thing I did when I joined Campbell was asked our insights lead to set up in homes so that I could go hang out, like literally hang out with consumers who buy and use our products. And on both sides of either, they're kind of, you know, they, they switch a lot, as well as people are just loyal advocates of the brands. Um, so I that was, I think, the first thing I did was to immerse myself. But to kind of step back from a general approach, because I'm an engineer, I think I use the scientific method when I start in a new role on a new business. And that's, that is ask a question, gather your data, construct your hypotheses, test your hypotheses by doing experiments, analyzing the data and drawing a conclusion and then sharing your results. That's, that's your standard scientific method. And so for me, the question was, well, how do we get younger consumers to buy, be attracted to our brands? And my data sources included product performance, brand health, purchase behavior, understanding the competitive set, what I just described, I 
firsthand talking to various cohorts of consumers and then digging into past communications to really get to the truth of the brand. I feel like there's usually a lot of data. And if you just, before creating new data, kind of live in that and develop hypotheses. Don't just get to one conclusion and and have to go with it. I think it's important to have multiple hypotheses that you then test and learn, optimize um, before you can then say, this is the best way forward. Thank you for sharing that because we, one, we don't talk about the scientific method enough on this program. (laughs) And two, it's great to hear all the various data sources that you have. And yet still a desire to have, to not just look at the data, but to actually go visit with consumers and experience in their own setting, so to speak. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. One of which we haven't talked a ton about either is that in-home component. I'm just curious, like how... I think this is like, honestly, the single most important thing. As a marketer. Well, and so like, what are you looking for as you're going out into those homes and, and, you know, you're looking at loyalists as well as people that switch products. Just curious to get in your thoughts. Like, what are you looking for when you're... I think it's developing empathy and create, it's, it's taking in the observational and I mean, I talk directly with consumers, right? My curiosity is at at a high point of just really understanding, but watching what they're doing and then later asking, you know, why did you do this? Why didn't you? I think what it does is it builds your gut and it builds your intuition. It helps you connect the data points that you've got back in the office. And I think too often we're looking at a screen or a bunch of screens with lots and lots of data. It is difficult to connect the dots of various data sources to develop um, cohesive hypotheses without getting firsthand touch and understanding and empathy of our consumers and how they are living their lives. And therefore, where do your products or categories or brands um, intersect with their broader life? So I, I, that is, I genuinely believe that that's the single most important thing. And what probably the pandemic has done is instead of having to get on a plane to go to someone's home, it's so accessible now because for at least some of our consumers, the ability to connect via um, Zoom or, you know, just virtually, it's available, which I think just it's more 
opportunities, more options, getting close to consumers. Well, and you can reach more of them across different geography regions a lot easier yeah, it's just too. Efficient. It's highly efficient in, in finding them, right? That's usually one of the challenges sometimes is how do you find the right type of consumer you're looking to learn from? But when you've got the entire U.S. versus one town, you know, city, it gives you more of that opportunity, um, at least the ones who, you know, it's easier to connect uh, via uh, via virtu- the virtual um, channel. I don't know if this was a result. This may have predated you. I can't remember when this, when I saw this commercial, but it was a, I believe it was a Campbell's condensed soup commercial. It's a mom going through the grocery store. And I think you just see her from behind. She's basically pushing the cart out and she grabs, you know, there's Campbell's logo, maybe a Campbell's couple voiceover type things. And you see her grab a red wine bottle and it's like soup and wine. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know if it was like a snowstorm, you know, going overhead on, on the overhead speaker or what it was, but I was like, that's an insight. Yeah. Easy meal and mom needs wine. Yes. So I was like, wow. People can relate. <laughs> yeah, you totally can relate. I mean, I'm not a mom, but like I can totally relate. I'm picking up the six pack. Yes. And <laughs> maybe more than six. It depends on how big the storm is going to be. But yeah. <laughs> and I was like, one, I hadn't seen a red and white, like a Campbell's generic, you know, Campbell's master brand ad in a while. And two, I was like, that's a critical insight, you know, like, and authentic to real people. It was really relevant. And I think that type of like richness to your point about like being with consumers and seeing it in their eyes and and building that empathy and gut, I think is what you were talking about building your intuition. You can't get that from numbers, you know, like it's so you really can't. And I always say, and I'm an engineer, so I love numbers, but You work long enough and you realize numbers can support any story. So you got to start with a hypothesis that is informed by your experience, by your observations, a multitude of data sources, not just one. Um, It is so critical to, to use that skill versus purely looking at spreadsheets and doing analyses without that foundation. So you've built your knowledge base. You've got this insight. You've got this kind of rich human empathy component to it as well. How do you think about that then driving either product innovation or development in general? Yeah. And when it comes to product innovation, definitely have to strategically use that. Normally, I would say there's two buckets. One is there's usually just a ongoing level of new news that both customers and consumers seek from brands. It keeps those brands modern, um, show up in a modern way. It shows that you know what's trending. How does that intersect with your product lineup and your brand? But you and so there's always a what what's that ongoing level of closer in innovation that achieves that news need, but it's usually not highly incremental. It it just helps keep your base stable. Then there's the other bucket of innovation that is further out, as in it really helps you gain new segments of consumers or occasions. But it also requires 
likely a little more support to explain to people what it is and why, you know, why is this brand um, offering it? But that is very much in building that future and building the incrementality to the overall growth. Well, and as you think about that new news, like I'm curious if the example is in your head. Uh, just for people that are listening to this. Definitely. We have a couple of live ones as we speak. This past year, we launched chunky spicy chicken noodle soup. And, you know, we've always had chicken noodle soup and chunky, um, making it spicy. It seems like, wow, that didn't exist. (laughs) And right. Like, it seems like, of course, that should have already existed, but it didn't. And it has just been a tremendous success this year. That is, you're providing news. We also know when it comes to spicy flavors, younger consumers um, are very much attracted to it. So just just a really smart, closer in innovation. Yeah, that's a really great example. And I'm envisioning like a spicy soup war in your future. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, this, that, like the that, chicken that sandwich. That might be happening as we speak. <laughs> <Also>. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So now you've got like a revitalized, you've got the insight, you've got maybe a revitalized pipeline in terms of, you know, closer in, further out innovation. How do you then go from there to taking that concept and strategy and bringing it to life either in the sales channel or in the go-to-market approaches? You know, here is where I'm probably a bit of a traditionalist. And what I mean by that, it is back into the basics of going from concept onto a shelf, whether it's a digital shelf or a physical shelf, there's a lot that's happening in between. And that is essentially bringing to life the proposition in the food, the packaging, the experience. And that is where I use the traditional tools of um, whether it's concept and product testing, having stimulus um, through either written words and pictures or through protocepts and prototypes. Um, it's so important to get these into the hands of the consumer to gather that data. This is a bit of the scientific method of, of testing different things before in its in service to optimizing, ensuring that the actual physical experience matches up to the concept and the strategy that was developed, which then of course you 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 know you then get into route to market in sales channels. And I think, you know, for most of our brands in this portfolio, we really it is all about, I mean, I'd say that in general at Campbell's one of our calling cards is about accessibility to all. So for us, every sales channel matters, um, just like every one of our businesses matter, though we do prioritize. Um, And prioritization, I think, is a critical element of of ensuring that we are resourcing properly the, uh, the biggest areas that we need to win in. But that is a bit of the my thought process is we turn kind of bring to life a concept and a strategy. Well, I like it. And it makes a lot of sense to the scientific method and that rigor comes back into play because you're you're making well, two things. One, you're trying to figure out what the forecast is going to be so you don't buy too much of any one thing. And then two, you know, trying to optimize and refine. And you need to to do that, you need to know why, right? Like and what. 
to change. And that requires a, a added sense of rigor you can't get from the qualitative stuff we were talking about before. Yeah. And, you know, being at a large CPG, we're also, you know, I'd say 80% of what we do, it is about going big day one because we can't leveraging our strength of scale. But there is, I don't know, maybe 20% might be too, too big of a number, but it's more the 80-20 rule. We do have things that we say, we're going to start smaller. And in that approach, it is a bit more agile and we are a bit choosier to which channels we're we're doing it and how we're learning and optimizing in market. And then certainly, you know, which consumers are we targeting? But that that really is a fraction of um, the bigger, the bigger portfolio, which our strength again is in that scale. Yep. No, that makes perfect sense. Well, I can't wait to try some chunky, spicy chicken noodle soup. <laughs> it's awesome. And I will tell you, we're definitely winning the spicy soup wars right now. <laughs> <laughs> the gauntlet has been thrown down. Yes. <laughs> That's funny. Well, one of the things we like to do on this show, besides talk about the business, is to get to know you a little bit more. We know that you have this special talent for predicting what people drive, but I'm curious if there's been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today. So I'm going to go really deep and say, yeah, just share really who I am and what drives me. On both sides of my family, my parents and grandparents had to escape to China during the Cultural Revolution in China. And then in the early 70s, my parents left Taiwan um, with nothing but an education and a dream to give their future kids more opportunity. And so my life, my mind is truly a cherry on top. I don't take a day for granted. And I truly, truly believe that if I don't wake up happy every day, I'm disrespecting what they had to sacrifice to give me the life that I have. So I'm truly blessed and grateful. And I think this is why I don't sweat the small stuff and even the big stuff when it comes to my career. And I think that's actually been what's allowed me to say yes to the things that most people won't is because I'm not, I don't worry about it. I think I'm, you know, I'm just super lucky to even have that opportunity. Right. I mean, it is quite a unique perspective to think of everything literally as upside. Yeah, it's all upside. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for sharing. I mean, that's a, what an amazing struggle that, that both both sides of your family went through to bring you where you are and to give you a, a, a stable place to jump off from. Yeah, and I imagine many many families, uh, regardless of where in the world, it just they, if you're really close to the immigrant roots of your family story, um, I imagine other, you know, there are many who can relate to that. You made me think of a Hamilton saying, I think it's like the immigrants get the job done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've seen Hamilton. The, yes, the play, love but, it. Oh, it's, a, it's amazing. But uh, a great immigrant story too of founding fathers. But what advice would you give your younger self if you're starting this journey all over again? In a pithy statement, I would say saying yes opens new doors. I love it. Is there a topic you think marketers need to be learning more about these days or maybe something you're trying to learn more about yourself? That you predicted my answer, which is uh, I'm trying to learn about this myself. And that is all about data. When I think about 25 years ago, the 
number of data sources was a handful. It was finite. And it was also quite slow. Where we are today with pretty much everything digitized, it has resulted in a proliferation of data. And in some ways, I think it could all either be paralyzing or completely, you know, there's inefficiency or missed opportunities for even tighter insight to what's driving a business or where there's opportunity. And so it's how do you cut through that clutter? How do you structure the data and create the right plumbing as well as processes to connect the data to the so what and ability to action. There's no question during the pandemic with the rise of e-com and just coincidentally with the rise of retail media, all of that has indicated you know, where the future's going and everyone has to be well-versed in data analytics and predictive models. I'm not sure that's something in the past that a marketer would have needed to be well-versed in. I mean, I agree with you on the predictive analytics and the environment of data is, I mean, it's just exploding. And I think for a manufacturer like Campbell Soup Company, it's a very interesting time. Like (laughs) the fact that like, I think, we used to be so dependent on other data sources, sources of data outside of a manufacturer's walls. So, you know, your channels data, you know, the syndicated data that you get from POS systems, um, you know, customer research data. And I think there's now an opportunity to build a responsibly a first party data approach that provides a lot more leverage long-term if you can figure out how to use it. That's the, I think that's the hardest part is to figure out one, how to use it and how to make the best use of it in a responsible way. But as you talk about, you know, like all these new ways to action that data, whether it's retail, uh, media networks or e-commerce capabilities, either your your own or working with e-commerce partners and channels. It's a really interesting time right now. Oh, completely. And honestly, I don't think anyone can fully predict where the future is going given Privacy, you know, there there really are a lot of factors um, that are real. And I think each company or business has to also say, well, what is pragmatic and works within my business model? If developing your own first party database, that's not an easy or fast endeavor. Um, and and so you got to right size. Does that fit your business model? Um, If it does, great. If it doesn't, what then must you do uh, to to be able to be competitive um, without that? And I think there are emerging options around that too. So it is just a highly dynamic um, and ever-evolving environment. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Totally agree. Well, we know you've got a great stable and portfolio of brands that you manage already or you're responsible for in some aspects. On a personal note, are there brands or companies or causes that you follow or you think other people should take notice of? So funny thing here, I don't really, I I don't really think I've got any particular brands that I follow. However, 
Where I do follow is in what I used to call my Insta mall. So my Instagram feed, I thought of it as basically it was a mall. And in, and nowadays it's TikTok. I feel like these are the places where startup brands seed culture and they really start to shift and influence consumer needs and desires. So I go to the, it is a bit of where are my consumers that I'm wanting to connect with, be relevant with, where are they living? And therefore, how do I be in those spaces to see what brands show up, how they show up, what connects, what doesn't, what's different, what's evolving. And I take it as inspiration. I love it. I've never heard that term Insta mall. You should trademark that because <laughs> it totally is like if you think about the behavior, you're just scrolling, basically looking at the the windows. Yeah, it's window shopping. <laughs> window shopping. <laughs> Last question for you. What do you feel like is the largest opportunity or threat to marketers today? I think we touched on it, which is for those of us who didn't grow up in an industry that owns its own sales channels, that convergence of sales and marketing in CPG is very real now. And you could see it as either a threat to marketing budgets or an opportunity to optimize and maximize your total investments um, more seamlessly then between trade and A&C. So I think that is that is the largest opportunity or threat, depending on in, you know how you view that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, Linda, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been enlightening to hear your story on a personal note and and your career journey, but also kind of the, what the work that you're doing at Campbell's and how you're revitalizing. Thanks so much, Alan. So great to meet with you. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now.